Part Two of Raiders of the Universes by Donald Wandrie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. And if Earth refuses your demand, for answer, Gorboreg rippled to a wall of the room and pressed a button. The wall dissolved weirdly, mysteriously. A series of vast silver plates was revealed, and a battery of control levers. This will happen to all of your Earth unless the ores are given us. The Titan closed a switch. On the first screen flashed the picture of a huge tower, such as Phobar had seen in the Metal City. Gorboreg adjusted a second control that was something like a rangefinder. He pressed a third lever, and from the tower leaped a surge of terrific energy, like a bolt of lightning a quarter of a mile broad. The giant closed another switch, and on the second plate flashed a picture of New York City. Then, waiting, seconds, minutes drifted by. The atmosphere became tense, nerve-cracking. Phobar's eyes ached with the intensity of his stare. What would happen? Abruptly, it came. A monstrous bolt of energy streaked from the skies, purple-blue death in a pillar a fourth of a mile broad, crashed into the heart of New York City, swept up and down Manhattan, across and back, and suddenly vanished. In fifteen seconds, only a molten hell of fused structures and incinerated millions of human beings remained of the world's first city. Phobar was crushed, appalled. Then utter loathing for this soulless thing poured through him. If only— It is useless. You can do nothing, answered the ruler as though it had grasped his thought. But why, if you could pick me off the earth, do you not draw the radium ores in the same way? Phobar demanded. The orange ray picks up only loose, portable objects. We can, and will, transport the radium ores here by means of the ray after they have been mined and placed on platforms or disks. Why did you select me from all the millions of people on Earth? Solely because you were the first apparent scientist whom our Cosmotel chanced upon. It will be up to you to notify your Earth governments of our demand. But afterwards, Phobar burst out aloud, what then? We will depart. It will mean death to us. The solar system will be wrecked with Neptune gone and Saturn following it. Gorboreg made no answer. To that impassive, cold, inhuman thing, it did not matter if a nation or a whole world perished. Phobar had already seen with what deliberate calm it destroyed a city merely to show him what power the lords of Exlorbity controlled. Besides, what guarantee was there that the invaders would not loot the earth of everything they wanted and then annihilate all the life upon it before they departed? Yet Phobar knew he was helpless knew that the men of earth would be forced to do whatever was asked of them and trust that the raiders would fulfill their promise 
Two hours remain for your stay here, came the ruler's dictum to interrupt his line of thought. For the first half of that period, you will tell me of your world and answer whatever questions I may ask. During the rest of the interval, I will explain some of the things you wish to learn about us. Again, Fobor felt Gorboreg's disdain, knew that the metal giant regarded him as a kind of a childish plaything for an hour or two's amusement, but he had no choice. And so he told Gorboreg of the life on earth, how it arose, and along what lines it had developed. He narrated in brief the extent of man's knowledge, his scientific achievements, his mastery of weapons and forces and machines, his social organization. When he had finished, he felt as a Stone Age man might feel in the presence of a brilliant scientist of the thirty-fourth century. If any sign of interest had shown on the peak of the metallic lord, Phobar failed to see it. But he sensed an intolerant sneer of ridicule in Gorboreg, as though the ruler considered these statements to be only the most elementary of facts. Then, for three quarters of an hour, in a manner of one lecturing an ignorant pupil, the giant crowded its thought pictures into Phobar's mind, so that finally he understood a little of the raiders and of the sudden terror that had flamed from the abyss into the solar system. The universe of matter that you know is only one of the countless universes which comprise the cosmos, began Gorboreg. In your universe you have a scale of ninety-two elements, you have your color spectrum, your rays and waves of many kinds. You are subject to definite laws controlling matter and energy as you know them. But we are of a different universe, on a different scale from yours. A trillion light-years away in space, eons distant in time. The natural laws which govern us differ from those controlling you. In our universe you would be hopelessly lost, completely helpless, unless you possess the knowledge that your people will not attain even in millions of years. But we, who are so much older and greater than you, have for so long studied the nature of the other universes, that we can enter and leave them at will, taking what we wish, doing as we wish, creating or destroying worlds wherever the need arises, coming and hurtling away when we choose. There is no vegetable life in our universe. There is only the scale of elements ranging from 842 to 966 on the extension of your own scale. At this high range, metals of complex kinds exist. There is none of what you call water, no vegetable world, no animal kingdom. Instead, there are energies, forces, rays, and waves, which are food to us, and which nourish our life-stream just as pigs, potatoes, and bread are food to you. Trillions of years ago in your time calculation, but only a few dozen centuries ago in ours, life arose on the giant world Kygipton in our universe. 
it was life our life the life of my people and myself intelligence animating bodies of pliant metal existing almost endlessly on an almost inexhaustible source of energy but all matter wears down on kygipton there was a variety of useful metals others that were valueless there was comparatively little of the first much of the second kygipton itself was a world as large as your entire solar system with a diameter roughly of four billion miles our ancestors knew that kygipton was dying that the store of our most precious element starel was dwindling but already our ancestors had mastered the forces of our universe had made inventions that are beyond your understanding had explored the limits of our universe in space cars that were propelled by the free energies in space and by the attraction repelling influences of stars the metal inhabitants of kygipton employed every invention they knew to accomplish an engineering miracle that makes your bridges and mines seem the puny efforts of a gnat they blasted all the remaining ores of starel from the surface and interior of kygipton and refined them then they created a gigantic vacuum a dead field in space a hundred million miles away from their world the dead field was controlled from kygipton by atomic projectors energy absorbers gravitation nullifiers and cosmotels range regulators and a host of other inventions as fast as it was mined and extracted the starel metal was vaporized shot into the dead field by interstellar rays and solidified there along an invisible framework which we projected in a decade of our time we had pillaged kygipton of every particle of starel and then in our skies hung an artificial world a manufactured sphere a giant new planet the world you yourself are now on ex lorbiti we did not create a solid globe we left chambers tunnels passageways storerooms throughout it or piercing it from surface to surface thus even as ex lorbiti was created we provided for everything that we needed or could need experimental laboratories subsurface vaults chambers for the innumerable huge ray dynamos energy storage batteries and other apparatus which we required and when all was ready we transferred by space cars and by atomic individuation all our necessities from kygipton to the artificial world exlorbiti and when everything was prepared we destroyed the dead field by duplicate control from exlorbiti turned our repulsion power on full against the now useless and dying giant world kygipton and swung upon our path but our whole universe is incredibly old it was mature before even your young suns flamed out of the gaseous nebulae 
it was decaying when your molten planets were flung from the central sun it was dying before the boiling seas had given birth to land upon your sphere and while we had enough of our own particular electrical food to last us for a million of your years and enough power to guide exlorbity to other universes we had exhausted all the remaining energy of our entire universe and when we finally left it to dwindle behind us in the black abyss of space we left it a dead cinder devoid of life vitiated of activity and utterly lacking in cosmic forces a universe finally run down the universes as you may know are set off from each other by totally black and empty abysses expanses so vast that light rays have not yet crossed many of them how did we accomplish the feat of traversing such a gulf by the simplest of means acceleration why because to remain in our universe meant inevitable death we gambled on the greatest adventure in all the cosmos to begin with we circled our universe to the remotest point opposite where we wanted to leave it we then turned our attraction powers on part way so that the millions of stars before us drew us ahead then we gradually stepped up the power to its full strength thus ever increasing our speed at the same time as stars passed to our rear in our flight we turned our repulsion rays against them stepping that power up also our initial speed was twenty four miles per second midway in our universe we had reached the speed of your light one hundred eighty six thousand miles per second by the time we left our universe we were hurtling at a speed which we estimated to be one billion six hundred million miles per second yet even at that tremendous speed it took us years to cross from our universe to yours if we had encountered even a planetoid at that enormous rate we would probably have been annihilated in white hot death but we had planned well and there were no superiors to our stellar mechanics our astronomers our scientists when we finally hurtled from the black void into your universe we found what we had only dared hope for a young universe with many planets and cooling worlds rich in radium ores the only element in your scale that can help to replenish our vanishing energy half your universe we have already deprived of its ores your earth has more than we want then we shall continue on our way to loot the rest of the worlds before passing on to another universe we are a planet without a universe we will wander and pillage until we find a universe like the one we came from or until Ixlarbiti itself disintegrates and we perish we could easily wipe out all the dwellers on earth and mine the ores ourselves but that would be a needless waste of our powers for since you cannot defy us 
and since the desire for life burns as high in you as in us and as it does in all sensate things in all universes your people will save themselves from death and save us from wasting energy by mining the ores for us what happens afterwards we do not care the seven new suns that you saw were dead worlds that we used as buffers to slow down Exlarbiti. The full strength of our repulsor force, directed against any single world, necessarily turns it into a liquid or gaseous state, depending on various factors. Your planet Neptune was pulled out of the solar system by the attraction of Exlarbiti's mass. The flame paths, as you call them, or directed streams of energy for different purposes the one to the sun supplies us for instance with heat light and electricity which in turn are stored up for eventual use the orange ray that you felt is one of our achievements it is similar to the double action pumps used in some of your sulfur mines whereby a pipe is enclosed in a larger pipe and hot water forced down through the larger tubing returns sulfur-laden through the central pipe. The orange ray instantaneously dissolves any portable object up to a certain size, propels it back to exlorbity through its center, which is the reversed ray, and here reforms the object, just as you were recreated on the disk that you stood on when you regained consciousness but i have not enough time to explain everything on exlarbity to you nor would you comprehend it all if i did your stay is almost up in that one control panel lies all the power that we have mastered boasted gorboreg with supreme egotism it connects with the individual controls throughout exlarbity what is the purpose of some of the levers asked phobar with a desperate hope in his thoughts a filament of metal whipped to the panel from the lord of exlarbity this first section duplicates the control panel that you saw in the laboratory where you opened your eyes do not think that you can make use of this information in ten minutes you will be back on your earth to deliver our command between now and that moment you will be so closely watched that you can do nothing and will have no opportunity to try the first lever controls the attraction rays the second the repulsion force the third dial regulates the orange ray by which you will be returned to earth the fourth switch directs the electrical bolt that destroyed new york city next is a device that we have never had occasion to use it releases the krangor wave throughout exlarbiti its effect is to make each atom of exlarbity the starel metal and everything on it become compact to do away with the empty spaces that exist in every atom theoretically it would reduce exlarbity to a fraction of its present size diminish its mass while its weight and gravity remained as before the next lever controls matter to be transported between here and the first laboratory somewhat like the orange ray it disintegrates the object and reassembles it here 
So that was what Phobar's captor had been trying to do with him back there in the laboratory. Why was I not brought here by that means? burst out Phobar. Because you belong to a different universe, answered Garboreg. Without experimentation, we cannot tell what natural laws of ours you would not be subject to, but this is one of them. A gesture of irritation seemed to come from him. Some laws hold good in all the universes we have thus far investigated. The orange ray, for instance, picked you up as it would have plucked one of us from the surface of Kygipton. But on Xlarbiti, which is composed entirely of Stalrel, your atomic nature and physical constitution are so different from ours that they were unaffected by the energy that ordinarily transports objects here. Thus the metal nightmare went rapidly over the control panel. At length Phobar's captor, or another thing like him, re-entered when Gorboreg flicked a strange-looking protuberance on the panel. "'You will now be returned to your earth,' came the thought of Gorboreg. "'We shall watch you through our cosmotel to see that you deliver our instructions. Unless the nations of earth obey us, they will be obliterated at the end of seven days.' A wild impulse to smash that impassive metallic monster passed from Phobar as quickly as it came. He was helpless. Sick and despairing, he felt the cold, baffling colored metal close around him again. Once more he was borne aloft for the journey to the laboratory, from there to be propelled back to Earth. Seven Days of Grace but Phobar knew that less than ten minutes remained to him. Only here could he possibly accomplish anything. Once off the surface of Xlarbiti, there was not the remotest chance that all the nations of Earth could reach the invaders, or even attempt to defy them. Yet what could he alone do in a week, to say nothing of ten minutes? He sensed the amused, supercilious contempt of his captor. That was really the greatest obstacle, this ability of theirs to read thought-pictures. And already he had given them enough word-pictures of English so that they could understand. In the back of Phobar's mind, the ghost of a desperate thought suddenly came. What was it he had learned years ago in college? Homer, the Odyssey, Plutarch? From rusty, disused corners of memory crept forth the half-forgotten words. He bent all his efforts to the task, not daring to think ahead or plan ahead or visualize anything but the Greek words. He felt the bewilderment of his captor. To throw it off the track, Phobar suddenly let an ancient English nursery rhyme slip into his thoughts. The disgust that emanated from his captor was laughable. Phobar could have shouted aloud, but the Greek words. Already the pair had left the mountain-high Titan city far behind. They rippled across the smooth black surface of Exlarbity, and bore like rifle bullets down on the swiftly looming laboratory. In a few minutes it would be too late forever. Now the lost Greek words burst into Phobar's mind, 
and hoping against hope he thought in greek word pictures which his captor could not understand he weighed chances long shots into his brain flashed an idea but they were upon the laboratory a stupendous door dissolved weirdly into shimmering haze they sped through phobar's hand clutched a bulge in his pocket would it work how could it they were beyond the door now and racing across the great expanse of the floor past the central tower past the control panel which he had first seen and as if by magic there leaped into phobar's mind a clear-cut vivid picture of violet oceans of energy crackling and streaking from the heavens to crash through the laboratory roof and barely miss striking his captor behind even as phobar created the image of that terrific death his captor whirled around in a lightning movement a long arm of metal flicking outward at the same instant to drop phobar to the ground like a flash phobar was on his feet his hand whipped from his pocket and with all his strength he flung a gleaming object straight toward the fifth lever on the control panel a dozen yards away as a clumsy arrow would his oversized bunch of keys twisted to their mark clanked and spread against the fifth control which was the size regulator as rapidly as phobar's captor had spun around it reversed again having guessed the trick a tentacle of pliant metal snaked toward phobar like a streak of flame but in those few seconds a terrific holocaust had taken place as phobar's keys spattered against the fifth lever there came an immediate growing strange high whine and a sickening collapse of the very surface beneath them everywhere outlines of objects wavered changed melted shrank with a steady and nauseatingly swift motion the roof of the laboratory high overhead plunged downward the far distant walls swept inward contracted and the metal monsters themselves dwindled as though they were vast rubber figures from which the air was hissing phobar sprang back as the tentacle whipped after him only that jump and the suddenly dwarfing dimensions of the giant saved him and even in that instant of wild action phobar shouted aloud for this whole world was collapsing together with everything on it except he himself who came of a different universe and remained unaffected it was the long shot he had gambled on the one chance he had to strike a blow all over the shrinking laboratory the monsters were rushing toward him his dwindling captor flung another tentacle toward the control panel to replace the size-regulating lever, but Phobar had anticipated that possibility and had already leaped to the switchboard, sweeping a heavy bar from his place and crashing it down on the lever so that it could not be replaced without being repaired. Almost in the same move, he had bounded away again, the former hundred-foot giant now scarcely more than his own height but throughout the laboratory the other metal things had halted in their tasks and were racing onward phobar always remembered that battle in the laboratory as a scene from some horrible nightmare 
the catastrophe came so rapidly that he could hardly follow the whirlwind events the half-dozen great leaps he made from the lashing tentacles of his pursuer sufficed to give him a few seconds respite and then the weird howling sound of the tortured world swelled to a piercing wail his lungs were laboring from the violence of his exertions again and again he barely escaped from the curling whips of metal tentacles and now the monster was hardly a foot high the huge condensers and tubes and colossal machinery were like those of a pygmy laboratory and overhead the roof plunged ever downward but phobar was cornered at last he stood in the center of a circle of the foot-high things his captors suddenly shot forth a dozen rope-like arms toward him as the others closed in he had not even a weapon for he had dropped the bar in his first mad bound away from the control panel he saw himself trapped in his own trick for in minutes at most the laboratory would be crushing him with fearful force blindly phobar reverted to a primitive defense in this moment of infinite danger and kicked with all his strength at the squat monster before him the thing tried to whirl aside but phobar's shoe squashed thickly through and in a disorder of quivering pieces the metal creature fell and subsided knowing at last that the invaders were vulnerable and how they could be killed phobar went leaping and stamping on those nearest him underfoot they disintegrated into little pulpy lumps of inert metal in a trice he broke beyond the circle and darted to the control panel one quick glance showed him that the roof was now scarcely a half dozen yards above with fingers that fumbled in haste at tiny levers and dials he spun several of them the repulsion ray full the attraction ray full and when they were set he picked up the bar he had dropped and smashed the controls so that they were helplessly jammed he could almost feel the planet catapult through the heavens the laboratory roof was only a foot over his head he whirled around squashed a dozen tiny creeping things leaped to a disk that was now not more than a few inches broad stooping low balancing himself precariously he somehow managed to close the tiny switch a haze of orange light enveloped him there came a great vertigo and dizziness and pain he felt himself falling through bottomless spaces so exhausted that he could scarcely move phobar blinked his eyes open to brilliant daylight in the chill of a november indian summer noon the sun shone radiant in the heavens off in the distance he heard a pandemonium of bells and whistles wearily he noticed that there were no flame paths in the sky staggering weakly he made his way to the observatory mounted the steps with tired limbs and wobbled to the eyepiece of his telescope which he had left focused on the dark star two hours before almost trembling he peered through it the dark star was gone somewhere far out in the abysses of the universe a runaway world plunged headlong at ever-mounting speed 
to uncharted regions under its double acceleration of attraction and repulsion a sigh of contentment came from his lips as he sank into a heavy and profound sleep later he would learn of the readjustments in the solar system and of the colder climate that came to earth and of the vast changes permanently made by the invading planet and a blazing new star discovered in orion that might signify the birth of a sun or the death of a metallic dark world but these were events to be and he demanded his immediate reward of a day's dreamless slumber end of raiders of the universes by donald wandry this story read by phil chenevere